0: I'm Scott. I'm Bill. And And we're we're The the Trade Trade Guys. Guys. You're listening to The Trade Guys, a podcast produced by CSIS, where we talk about trade in terms that everyone can understand. I'm H. Andrew Schwartz, and I'm here with Scott Miller and Bill Reinch, the CSIS Trade Guys. In this episode of The Trade Guys, we welcome a very special guest, Heather Conley. Heather is CSIS's senior vice president for Europe, Eurasia, and the Arctic and she's the director of our Europe program. Heather's just back from London and saw Brexit up close. So we're going to ask her what happened earlier this week. How does it affect us all? And how might Brexit affect trade? We discuss all that and more right here on this episode of The Trade Guys. The trade guys are super excited to welcome our colleague, Heather Conley, today. Heather's our senior VP for Europe, Eurasia, and the Arctic, and she knows more about Europe than anybody I know. And like, while she was gone this week in London to be firsthand witness to Brexit, we had tons of media calling saying, where's Heather? Where's Heather? Where's Heather? And we said, well, you know, she's on the scene, but she's traveling and she's busy. So we're the first people to really get you on the air on a podcast to find out like what the heck was happening there. And you know, so so tell us what what happened.
1: Well, um, there was a lot of noise and fanfare in London, and what happened was the this most significant historic defeat of any British prime minister. So Theresa May. Made history Tuesday night because she lost the vote on her deal by 230 votes on her deal that she had worked on for two years with the European Union. Uh, The the last uh, and largest defeat by any prime minister uh, was in 1924 by 166 votes. So she just knocked that one right out of the history books. It was so shocking watching it live um you you could almost hear and the reporters were saying this the intake of air people thought this would not have been that big of a defeat that they were going to be able to turn some people around that was stunning what she managed to do was build a majority on both sides of the political spectrum against her deal so it was stunning and people were just reeling from the shock of the size and then uh, immediately, uh, Labor opposition leader Jeremy Corbyn tabled a no-confidence vote which was anticipated. It was we To weren't. try to
0: actually bring down her government.
1: Well, I mean, it was because this was a historic defeat, to be honest with you. When you cannot command a majority of parliament on this, the most important consequential uh, issue before the United Kingdom, you've got to have some questions about that. He pulled the trigger immediately. The vote was held last uh, last evening in the UK uh, and she won uh, the confidence vote because the problem is her party, the Conservative Party, and her confidence and supply party, uh, the Democratic Unionist Party, don't want the government to fall. Uh, they just don't like the deal that she negotiated. The problem is she just spent two years doing that. And that's been now a complete waste of time. And now they have a complete reboot. Theresa May has to go back before parliament on Monday and tell them what her plan B is. She has no idea what that plan B is. And she doesn't have a
0: lot of time to, to come up with one she either. She
1: doesn't. She Last evening after the you no know, confidence vote, she said, OK, I'm going to meet with all the opposition leaders. We're going to figure out what the path forward is. And Jeremy Corbyn uh, said that he will Will not meet with her until he uh, receives assurances that a no deal is off the table, meaning that on March the 29th, because the United Kingdom uh, submitted its uh, letter to exit the EU, its Article 50 letter, the clock is ticking to March 29th. Uh, What Jeremy Corbyn wants is that agreement to be off the table, that they won't crash out on March 29th, that they will agree that they will pursue all options uh, with the exception of the no deal. And Theresa May will not pull that off the table. And the reason she will not pull that off the table, although she does not want – I don't think any responsible politician wants to crash out and have a, a real economic impact to, to their country. But that is holding her party together. And this is what Jeremy Corbyn tactically is trying to do. Um, this he, He's going to go back and, I think, go back and back and back on these no-confidence votes um, as they try to figure out what they're overarching deal is because what he wants is to go to an early election as quickly as possible. He wants to split the conservative party to do that. Um, And because the last thing Jeremy Corbyn wants, his labor party is as divided on Brexit as the conservative party is. He's trying to hold that line and divide the Tories first and then see if he can get to an early election so this is just well we've been making history through this whole period but uh, we really have no idea where this is going to go.
2: Now look I'm a simple minded guy. You
0: are not. a trade guy guy. Scott
2: is not known Uh, as a simple guy but 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 he's a humble guy. But if I look at the last couple of days of votes if if I take the vote Oh, The vote on the May deal was a two-to-one loss. The vote on no confidence May survives.
0: Mm-hmm. By about 19 like votes. By 19 votes. But that's the like size that. of a majority. Yeah. So, 326 to
2: 303. Something. Pre-med, yeah. pre-law. Was, yeah, something yeah. like that. In any case, <laughs> when I put those two together – my, my, my conclusion is the parliament just took over responsibility for the Brexit deal. In other words, we're not going to leave it to Theresa May's team anymore. She doesn't get to negotiate she with the get, trade whisperer John Claude Junker in the EU anymore. We, we hate what you did, but we want you to stay. But, but by doing so, the parliament now owns Brexit. Is that Well, Well,
1: actually, Scott, you're absolutely right. Uh, Theresa May started losing control over this actually before the vote on her own deal. And this was the Speaker of the House, John Bercow. Basically, um, started taking this out of the government's hands yeah, yeah. because he was shaping amendments. And and you're absolutely right. In fact, that was really the devastation of the the loss on Tuesday night. Now um, it's unclear whether who's leading this, the government or parliament. It's not even clear within government. Theresa May's cabinet is deeply split as well. We have remainers right. in her cabinet. We have the the, the fervent brexiteers. Mm-hmm. They don't know where there's agreement. So what's going to happen, I think. Uh, we, we sort of watch this hour by hour. On Monday, when Teresa May Puts forward the plan B. What's going to start happening is is Parliament is going to um, have a series, I think, of what they're going to call indicative votes, which is basically starting to feel about for where where there is a majority for something. Right now, every option that they have on the table, from a, another referendum, to uh, you know going out uh, with uh, with WTO rules. I mean, that's just the 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 spectrum. There's not a majority for anything right now. So until they they start testing the ground and start seeing this, and this actually, to be honest with you, has nothing to do with the government. This is going to be parliament trying to figure this out. And what needs to happen, what should have happened two years ago, if we could have just you know, hit the tapes and go back. What Theresa May should have done once she received the premiership is do, do what she has to do now, a cross-party agreement, a national unity government that says, what do we agree on? What are we going to pull together as a nation to manage this crisis? Her decision was to keep the Conservative Party together, which has, uh, you know, for 40 years, Europe has split the Conservative Party over and over and over again. It's what forced this referendum in the first place. Her priority was to party. So now we have to see if her priority uh, in the second uh, round is to party or whether it will be to country and whether she'll seek to have a cross-party agreement with Labor and the Liberal Democrats. It will also be interesting to see Jeremy Corbyn is now putting party over this as well. He's totally agnostic about this. He doesn't really care. He wants to be the prime minister, and he will do everything he can to manage that. So you just have this, you know, in the meantime, economy, uncertainty growing Everything is a pl- complete question mark. You'll start to see next uh, week. I think the plan will be we're going to ask the European Union for an extension till the end of this year, uh, at least through so December. So you can stop the clock on this. They've got to stop the like clock that. until yeah. they reboot and figure this out. I mm-hmm. think the EU uh, is willing uh, to, to to do this. Well, there's a
2: great downside for the EU: a hard, e- hard exit from the from the union. Uh, from from the the single market is just as, in my view, just as bad for 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 Europe as it is for Britain. Well, first I want to make a point. Once upon a time, my priority was to party.
0: Also, <laughs> it really, you know, I mean, that was once upon a time. But let, let's, uh, But no, I want Scott just brought. Can, can we groan now? <laughs> <laughs> yes, we Sc- can. Scott just, Scott just brought up something really interesting. What does hard Brexit actually mean?
1: Well, it means different things to. Different people, but I think hard Brexit to some is absolutely crashing out of the of the European Union on March the 29th, and what some are saying, we'll just go to WTO rules. Uh, that'll set our tariffs. So it's basically,
2: severing these the, all the commitments severing. to the single market without an agreement on what happens. Correct. The next morning, Correct. essentially. Correct. And, and
1: so, what the the UK government has been doing, and and some of this was just to build momentum to get Theresa May's deal passed. Mm-hmm. they've been Sort of going through a no deal exercise. So uh, in London, you're you're seeing these uh, you know articles on you know how uh, how to stockpile your food and your medicines. They had just run this uh, dress rehearsal for how uh, trucks would be dealt with uh, at major ports because they are anticipating major uh, bottlenecks. They're not sure how uh, the uh, air airlines will work if they don't have certification. Um, so some of this was used for I think trying to the deal now. They have to get very serious about it. So that is the hard Brexit. And you're absolutely right, Scott. As much as this is – we're focusing on the UK, rightly so. Yeah. This will have devastating impacts on the EU economy. Certainly the Germans are uh, very cognizant of this. Particularly after last week, we got some pretty pretty soft numbers out of the EU. Industrial production down.
2: Yeah, I the mean they're, they're flirting with the
1: recession here. The big here economies in Europe
2: now. are not doing no, well. No, they're not doing well. But isn't this, isn't this
3: going to be in part up to the EU – member states and how they decide to handle it. Why couldn't they just, why couldn't the Dutch just say, since a lot of the traffic is back and forth from Rotterdam, why couldn't the Dutch just say, we will continue to treat you the same way, even though you're out?
1: Well, see, I think this- um, For the
3: time being, not permanently. Yeah,
1: Bill, I mean, so this is, I'm sympathetic to the European Union on this account, because this is, the EU didn't want this. The United Kingdom sought and asked for withdrawal. The moment they submitted that withdrawal letter, they became a third country. What, what the UK thought they were, I think, they were going to do through this two-year period is be treated like they have been treated for the last 40 years in the EU. They get exceptions, they get rebates, they get opt-outs, they get what they want because they're a big and important country and economy. And they thought they'd be negotiating this as an EU member state, and they were immediately treated like a third country. And we know the EU can play some pretty serious... Is hardball as Switzerland as they're trying to go see oh. this. So they misunderstood this. And so now um, you, this block, which is. Look, 2019 is going to be a horrible year for the EU, depending on how their European Parliament elections go uh, at the end of May. The Euro skepticism that is growing on the left and the right within Europe, the softening of the economy. You have a, America, a, German, a German Chancellor, Angela Merkel, uh, in a transition period. You have the French right now. President Macron is opening three months of debates because he has a gilets jaunes movement that is now – Totally challenging his uh, authority. You have a real problem here at the EU, so they can't give right now on this front. But it will impact them. They have to hang together right now.
3: I'm asking because I think they've done exactly what they ought to have done up until this point, which is to try to show the UK how miserable everything is going to be if they don't work this out, uh, and that they are they are going to be treated as a third country. They've done all of that. Now we get to March 29th and there's nothing. Why at that point, that strategy not having succeeded, is it in their interest to continue that strategy and make everything worse?
1: No, I think they're going to continue the muddle through path. They're going to give the UK more time to see yeah. if they can reverse the decision and make this into the lesson of you see this. It's really hard to do. The people are against it, so they're going to give them the space to reverse this decision. I think that's the. Well, that's okay, their, that's e, the EU's plan B. Well, let
3: me go back and ask a different question about the politics of it. It seems to me. After you describe the Labor Party and what, what Corbyn wants to do, it doesn't seem to me, though, it's going to ever be – because of the politics, it's ever going to be possible for the, for the parliament to come up with a multi-party compromise. The, the
2: conservatives would, would lose massively if they reversed.
1: So this is the the most interesting. comment. it sounds like Corbyn
2: doesn't want a deal; he wants an election.
1: Right. The most interesting comment I heard, uh, listening to sort of nonstop BBC, ITV, Channel Four, just ringing in my ears, you know, uh, politics now in the UK are no longer will no longer be defined have not by left or right. It's it's now just defined by Remain and Leave, and so what that's going to do is fracture. The entire political spectrum eventually. Because if they do, the only way out of this is a cross-party deal. To get that cross-party deal, you are going, in my view, to totally fracture the conservative party first, which has always had the greatest uh, you know, tensions uh, about Europe. It also has the chance of really fracturing labor because it's really a third that uh, are actually hardcore Brexit. They, they want to leave. There's no love of this. You have very moderate centrist pro-remainers in labor as well. They just haven't had the spotlight on them to focus on their fractures. This decision could really fracture and fragment the UK's political we could see uh, new political parties emerging potentially after this we could see uh, fissures in these parties that will you know just not heal for a very well, long time well if they time.
3: voted if put aside the party if they voted just on remain or or leave is there a majority in Parliament to remain?
1: We don't. We don't know. So this is where uh, will the parties give their, uh, will the leaders give both parties, both conservatives and Labour, a free vote? I mean, what they've been trying to do is whip, 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 whip them into party unity and loyalty obviously that h- horribly uh, broke down with uh, Tuesday's decision. If they give free votes, this is this is where these indicative votes have to happen. We have to see where there is a majority for anything or nothing is going to pass.
0: One thing is though, is you know Ellen Berry of the New York Times today calls Theresa May the lady of perpetual crisis, but also goes on to say that she's basically indestructible. And if one thing we're gonna remember from this week is, yes, she had this resounding historic defeat, but she also, I think, what we may remember from this is that she survived as leader of the country.
1: So she's surviving not because there's strength, unity of purpose. It's she's surviving because there's no nobody.
2: else wants, wants the, want the job. job. <laughs> nobody wants the well, job except Jeremy Corbyn wants the well, job. Well, 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 but nobody in her party wants the job. And right. most importantly, none of the pro-leave group, when when the government was formed uh, after after the referendum. OK, no, none of the pro leave stepped up to lead. That's what it actually would have taken is a parliament as a parliament where the majority party, where the Tories were led by people who wanted to make sure Brexit did happen. Uh, and instead, it fell to May, who was a Remain. Right? So,
1: absolutely. I mean, my, my own view is here. She stepped forward. Uh, she was a she She supported Remain. Mm-hmm. Uh, she won the leadership challenge. And I think, you know, most uh, most people view her as look she had a mission impossible and she was going to do her very best. For me, that broke de- that theory of of you know just doing the right thing and trudging through and getting the best deal based on the promises of the referendum. Where she lost the thread um, was that again her priority became saving the Conservative Party and keeping them together. And when this deal, which was not going to go through last June at the checkers Agreement, this was falling through anyway, she needed to then. Use you turn and go okay I've got to do something different well, now she lost seven to eight months exactly
2: and that's on, my it's, frustration. on its face this agreement was never right. saleable. Right. It was an awful agreement. It was right. basically all the responsibilities and costs of being an EU member and none of the power. We're, we're giving up our, our, our voice in any of this. But Scott,
1: put put in a different way, and this is where, again, I, I, I'm gonna sound more sympathetic to the EU. The, the deal followed the red lines that she, which was the yes. red lines of her conservative party, and so they basically, eliminated so many options they yes. came out with this and it this thing managed to be nothing for anybody and it got shot
2: sometimes down. this is what happens when you leave it to the professionals i was thinking about this <laughs> yesterday thinking about the, the idea of parliament taking this back for themselves and realizing our founders may have been pretty smart to reserve the powers for regulating commerce both interstate commerce and international commerce to the congress Okay? Those are p- constitutional powers of the Congress, and we complain bitterly about having to round up votes for trade agreements and having to convince recalcitrant members. But ultimately, it seems to me like commerce is vitally important to the, to the basically the happiness of the people. So let the people's representatives deal with it. Our founders had great belief
0: in Bill Reich to lead the power of commerce, and he's no longer it's in not office. not there. Everything is
3: different. Those were the good old days. <laughs> Although I, I can't help thinking when Heather was talking, I was trying to think. When was the last time a British Parliament actually ran away and seized control uh, of the government? And I'm thinking probably 1648, which didn't end (laughs) happily for the king.
1: Uh, yeah, no, I mean, this, this is truly, they're saying, I mean, this it's very true. I think somebody
2: they, thought it was glorious.
1: They, well, <laughs> they, they are in a constitutional crisis without a written constitution. I mean Because yes. the UK does not have a written right. constitution. It's by law and precedent. Um, but you're absolutely right. You are seeing where parliament will now start seating control. I keep your eye on the Speaker of the House, because the way he organizes and tables amendments and indicative votes will now shape the outcome. He really but,
3: has that much power in their well, system? Well, he's
1: taking it, yes. And, and of course, they're screaming because this is unprecedented because the government submits. It is the, it is the government that puts forward what is going to happen and, and the parliament, the House of Commons votes on it. Now, it's because the government cannot formulate this.
2: Apparently, for us nerds, there's a book that was written by one of the masters of parliamentary procedure and the sort of the rules of the parliament that is now a bestseller. <laughs> uh, these copies are going for thousands and thousands of pounds uh, but but there's a book that some staffer wrote at, at some point i am I'm, I'm i'm embarrassing myself by calling him a staffer but i think that's who the guy was Could back be. i mean it's not robert's rules of order it's it's basically if if you think of having senator bob Byrd as the staffer who wrote how you get things done in in the parliament and, and put it down and sort of collected dust for a number of years. And now it's like one of the most valuable books in Britain. So it nobody knows. So
0: what impact do we think all this uncertainty is going to have on trade? Bill Reich. Well, uncertainty
3: is always bad for trade because it makes people sit on their money, sit on their investments and sit on their decisions. So it's never good. Uh, it won't be good for the UK. It won't be good for the continent. Uh, it's too soon to say how it's going to affect us if they have a hard deal, a hard exit, uh, then we can negotiate with them because they'll be out of the EU and they won't have any lingering obligation. And President
0: Trump would like and, and that. The,
3: well, he'd like that. And I think, uh, I was talking about this yesterday with somebody, uh, the UK will probably rush to do that because they'll w- want to cement as many other relationships as they possibly can in a short period as they can to try to establish some Degree of, of normality in in the country, so they'll want to do it. We'll want to do it. Uh, I think it'll be a lot harder than uh, than than they think it will be, because even then, more of their trade is going to be with the EU than it's going to be with us. And doing a deal with us, we're going to come in and say, well, you can't do geographical indications. You can't have EU rules on uh, genetically modified organisms. Uh, You have to do a whole bunch of things on agriculture, which might be fine with them, but will then affect further trade into the the EU. It'll be complicated. Uh, if they don't have a hard exit and do something like her deal, then they remain in a customs union and then they can't negotiate with us. So at that point, I don't know that there would be a big impact on us except via the uncertainty. So
1: I, I think we, um, again, not knowing where next week goes in plan B, but um, what what the Brexiteers like Liam Fox, who's the secretary of the, their international trade Office liked about Theresa May's deal is that it kept open future trade relationships with outside countries. If they now lean towards a a softer Brexit, a permanent uh, customs union, uh, something much more integrated, Norway option, exactly. um, And again, this is in part this is a requirement to prevent a hard border between Northern Ireland and the Republic of Ireland. If they go in that direction, and if there is a majority for that direction, then they will be precluded from having uh, trade agreements outside of, uh, of the EU. And and that was really the premise of the Brexit. So they wanted that, that openness. So I, I think that's a part of the, the, the challenge. If there is a hard Brexit, I mean, the, the, the shock to the global economy could be pretty substantial if, if it's a real horrific... But- Thing.
3: Do you think negotiating with us would be easy?
1: Oh, negotiating no. with us, and this—and this is no. what uh, London has really, uh, <laughs> really woken up to. they And it was about a year and a half ago when the UK and the EU had agreed on how they were going to distribute uh, WTO quotas, and who came into mm-hmm. that? The, the U.S. said, uh uh-uh, that isn't how we want to see that agreement." And I think that jolted London and going, "Wait a minute, you're not our friends." We thought we we had a lot of support for Brexit, particularly from from the president, and they have realized they've we've had a, a bilateral economic working group uh, for quite some time and, and I think that's doing productive work but you can't really go forward until you know if you can negotiate a free trade agreement and I think uh, the UK is really learning that there is hardball tactics here and they will be forced into choosing and that's not going to be a uh, well they, happy look for this them. whole
2: thing is a gordodian knot <laughs> okay and you can't untie that you have to cut it so I'm, I'm predicting somewhere along the line somebody's going to decide to break some rules. You're a hard Brexit person. Well, I think if you want to respect the will of the people, you'll be closer to hard Brexit than you will be to remain. Okay, And you've got to take the decision to, to separate yourself. But I think that will require uh, ignoring rules. For instance, one way to deal with the Good Friday Accords and the, the, the commitment to Ireland is just not put a border there. Okay, and so so uh, Juncker and the European Commission are going to send an expeditionary force and invade? No, they're not. Okay, they're gonna say, you broke our rules. We said, tough. Okay, mm. this is, so I think it's gonna take the kind of leadership that basically says, well, we're just not gonna do that next, and, and basically cut the knot rather than try to untie it. it. Looks to me like for two years, the May government has tried to untie the Gordonian knot mm. and, and managed to get with a, with a deal that is satisfactory to nobody. So,
1: so it's always that great uh, Boris Johnson quote, we want our cake and we want to eat it too. This, is, this has been this great, um, <laughs> They want, as you rightly said earlier, they want all the benefits without any of the price. Um, so I, I think they're going to have to make some decisions. A paper that Bill and I have been, been working on uh, that looks at the future of digital trade. We've had this ongoing conversation. Is the UK a bridge? between uh, the EU and the US. Mm -hmm. We have very different views on data protection and, and this could be useful. Or are they going to be at the fork in the road? Do they have to choose. Do they have to choose? They really Did do. They, on a I, number I, of so issues. So we, yes, yes. you, and I sort of come down on the choice part. Uh, I, th- uh, which I, I mean, I don't. We don't want that to happen. We, the bridge would be the the best place to be that we yes. could not create three different digital uh, agendas: China's, Europe's, and and the U.S. What
3: intrigues me is you get there the other way around. They're not the bridge. The solution to that problem is for the U.S. and the EU to come together on all these issues. And and then the fact that there's a the UK won't matter. There won't be any difference between mm. us and the Europeans, and so they can fit right into an agreement with us. Of course, we're a long way from that. We're, for a lot we, of we
1: found bridges with the EU on this, uh, whether that's safe harbor, privacy shield. The question is whether we can uh, find another bridge through GDPR, e privacy, that's the issue. But but again, it's sort of a, a little microcosm of this of this broader. All, all thing. these
2: issues are hard. Look, oh, they are. look I, I mean, you know, just look at the way supply chains uh, have integrated. But, you know, I, I noticed my, my daughter has a Honda Civic hatchback. It was built in the U.K., assembled in the U.K., sold in the United States. But the engine comes from Thailand. The reason it comes from Thailand is there's an association agreement that the EU has with, uh, with Thailand okay, for duty-free trade. Well, Britain leaves; those association agreements right. are dissolved. Right. They're right. not; they're no longer part of the the, the body that made the agreement. So, right. oh, just one little little vignette into how complicated it is. But at the end of the day, I mean, I, I Michael Caine, the actor, I thought said it best. He said, "I'd rather be a poor master of my own destiny." Than someone who's richer but has ceded the control to someone far away when did he say that that's a good quote it, it's great it, I, I watched it on television and it was so good that i remembered it which yeah
1: well the clarity would have <laughs> that clarity would have been extremely helpful prior mm. to the referendum yes to it, say,
2: instead of saying you can have it all correct, okay saying correct. let's be poor masters of our own fate and take the economic right. hit but we get our independence.
1: Right. So they were promised, though, more money for the more, NHS. Um, yeah. I mean, this would be bountiful times we could have our cake and eat it, too. And it's that's, that's while not you, true. While
3: you were gone, you know, the, I think The Post did a story on Sunday that where they went to the town in the UK, appropriately Boston, ah. uh, that had the highest percentage of leave voters mm. in in the country. And they interviewed a whole bunch of just people on the street, sort of, what do you think now? kind of questions and a lot of them said a variation of what scott said well we should just get on with it you know yeah, absolutely. Uh, let's you know may, maybe it's going to be disruptive yeah, maybe, maybe, life we'll, will be maybe hard hard we'll take for a big while. hit. but we'll let's it was do very it. british we'll yeah. struggle through uh-huh. and we'll
2: we'll persevere and right. Things no, will be all right in It seems end. consistent with the character of the country.
1: And yeah. that's... No, I, and I think that that's absolutely captured. There's, I mean, they have voted uh, every year since 2015. Uh, first, the referendum. They had an election 2015, the referendum 2016. They had uh, another election. I mean, they're just – they're done with it. The problem is there's just not the clarity of – going. and they might go back and ask them one more time.
3: Well, even if they do, I, we had um, David Davis, one of the yes. leading uh, – Strong uh, voices uh, here, Owen Patterson they were here, uh, uh yep. Brexiteers. And I think a lot of people in the room, it was a small group, but not everybody agreed with them. But they said one thing that really resonated with me, which was if you had another vote, it would probably be 52-48. Right. It might be 52-48 the other way, right. but it would still be right. 52-48. The country is divided, and that really wouldn't solve anything. Yeah. If you have a narrow right. reversal, everybody's still just as angry and upset as they were before.
1: I, I agree with that. I think that's why, for me, the, the, the people's vote or the second referendum, to be honest with you, that's not going to solve anything. It's going to divide the country even more. They need a national consensus about the way well, to Well They need forward. the
2: people's the people's representatives to that's lead. Right. Well, that's, that's why, why this what has need. to go to the parliament. That's like the U.S. Congress, doesn't it? Well, it does.
0: A lot <laughs> of this sounds familiar. It's happening here as well. Well, yeah. I mean, what, what how does this impact the average person, though, in the U.K.?
1: So it has, uh, it, in some ways, uh, again, the, the sort of the, the the analogy to the the U.S. The, the shutdown here is really clear. There's not enough pain spread evenly to force people to focus the minds of their politicians to resolve it. There has certainly been a softening of the economy, for sure. Um, uh, We have seen where uh, major corporations have now decided to incorporate in other EU capitals. Dublin has received a big benefit from from financial companies. Uh, Frankfurt, Paris, Amsterdam. I mean, there's been sort of a distribution, if you will, but not a wholesale mass uh, uh, movement. Um, The London prices have gone down. House prices have gone down. There's been a softening. It's all sitting on the sidelines waiting for that certainty that Bill mentioned. But there hasn't been. It's slowed. It's not great, but it's not well, catastrophic. The, the
2: analogy to the government shutdown is entirely appropriate because, yes, there's been drip, drip, drip announcement here, announcement there, but nobody feels it in their daily oh, life. Of course not. And, and I'll tell you, you get outside the Beltway. Well, we, we do here inside we, the Beltway. Inside uh-huh. we, the Beltway, you feel it because the traffic's lighter. Okay. Yeah, but Outside. you see, people. You just the other day, federal workers were lining up at a soup kitchen yes. to get a free meal. I no, mean, you so know, there's you're, real you're pain. You're right, Andrew. We see that. But if you're in if you're in Chicago or Kansas City or, or Houston, you don't. Okay. All you notice is that unless you work for TSA, if you or something, right? Like or if, that. You work, if you work for yeah. the government, but in terms of in the in the overall economy, it's it's not really noticeable. So it's not it's not influencing the politics in Washington. That's that's what's similar about the you shutdown. Know, but it's probably somebody
3: in, uh, finally figured this out and mentioned it in an article the other day. It's probably deliberate. I lived through the Clinton, not what is now the second longest shutdown, and I was in the government then, and that was a case of President Clinton wanting to show that the Republicans had, had instigated this, which they had. It was a Newt Gingrich thing. Yes, And he did everything he do, he could do to make the shutdown as painful as possible. Shutdown meant shutdown, and everything got closed. Uh, in this case, uh, Trump is trying to avoid responsibility for it. And so he's doing the best he can to, mi- is to, to mitigate all the effects, right. calling all these people back to work, but not yes. paying them, right. uh, telling everybody, you're going to get your tax refund, the farmers, you're going to get your money. So he's trying to make it Look as though it doesn't matter. Nothing happened.
1: So his Completely strategy different. is very similar well, the to the Breitseher exactly strategy. Nothing to, there's not going to be any about. pain, and so and, yeah. and if they can't <laughs> prove because. You know, remember, experts, those terrible experts were saying right before the referendum, the world will stop spinning on its axis if you decide to leave. Well, guess what? Yes, the, the pound plunged, <laughs> currency plunged. And it gave us all a big shock, but nothing yeah. really happened. And so they that in some ways, that has given them more momentum to say, oh, they keep scaring you, project fear, but ultimately, you'll be OK. Now and until pound, that point is not proven, yes. it's OK. Now,
2: the pound strengthened this morning, Yes, which says to me that traders think, they're going to be they're going to stop the clock and delay
1: yeah. and, and i so think that, that is just... i think the markets are rightly pricing in an extension i think they're yeah. they're rightly pricing in that and this you know i think we are leaning more towards a softer brexit
2: well they think that people will walk back from the abyss yeah. and not jump over the cliff Yes, and, the, I, and I think uh, for what 29. we
1: know today, yeah. and that could change within the hour, sure. uh, that will be uh, the likely outcome.
2: Good metaphor, Scott. Yeah. Oh, we're just – Abyss
1: and cliff,
3: I mean, yeah, that's right. not I'm, even mixed. I'm Scott's on fuego today. Yeah, he's <laughs> uh,
2: that's,
1: brings even out a the reference best, to yeah.
2: Bird. so <laughs> yeah. I, I do what I can. <laughs>
0: well, Heather, we were just anticipating your arrival back on U.S. soil, and the snow has messed us up, and the shutdown goes on. Brexit goes on. But the trade guys go on. Trade guys go on. What's your ultimate prediction about what's going to happen in the near term here? The Europeans say they won't renegotiate this. Macron has chimed in the other day and said, we're not going to deal with your internal you know, battle in the UK. What, what do you think is going to happen?
1: So I just, this is going to be, 2019 is going to be an incredibly consequential year mm. for the future of Europe. Um, and the U.S. is really ignoring this story, uh, I think, in a very profound way. Uh, so we could have uh, a vote in the European Parliament that could produce the most Euroskeptic anti-EU Parliament uh, in Europe's history. We have a, a protest movement that could spread across uh, Europe. We have EU countries that are now openly uh, authoritarian and anti-democratic. We have Italy, which is a very, very financially fragile. It's its banking sector. And then I didn't now then get to Brexit and sort of what that is. Uh, they uh, the Europe represents our our most important trade and investment block. We take that. Uh, for granted at our peril. So what Europe will do on Brexit, um, the, the muddling through strategy, which has been its strategy for eight plus years since the Eurozone crisis, it will try to kick the can, manage, muddle, see if something else happens. But the cumulative effect of uh, the Eurozone crisis, the migration crisis, and now I fear a growing democratic crisis Uh, could be producing governments and movements which want to tear this project down. So I just Mm – I don't want to end on a sobering note here, but this is very, very important as we sort of watch the – as Brexit turns or sort of these daily installments, this is really important to the United States. The UK is our most important military intelligence uh, ally and – this is not where we want them to be right now.
3: Did you see the queen? No. That's uh, a good question.
1: <laughs> did not.
3: I'm disappointed.
1: I know.
0: To our listeners, if you have a question for the Trade Guys, write us at tradeguys at CSIS.org. That's tradeguys at CSIS.org. We'll read some of your emails and have the Trade Guys react to it. We're also now on Spotify, so you can find us there when you're listening to The Rolling Stones or you're listening to Tom Petty or whatever you're listening to. You can definitely listen to The Trade Guys. Thank you, Trade Guys. Thank you. You've been listening to The Trade Guys, a CSIS podcast.